You're listening to Between Two Consultants, Logic 2020's original business and technology podcast. I'm Nick Kelly. And I'm Ethan Silvers. We're two consultants who talk to super smart people about the latest trends in technology and business. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Between Two Consultants. I'm Nicholas Kelly. And I am Ethan Silvers. And today we're very fortunate to have David Langer with us. And we're going to be talking about the top five mistakes you must avoid in becoming a data-driven organization. Uh, David, we'd love to hear a little bit of an intro. For those who don't know you, you have a massive following on LinkedIn and on YouTube. And you've got 45,000 followers on YouTube, which is 46,000 more than we have. And we'd (laughs) love to hear a little bit of your background. Yeah, thanks for having me on the program. I really, really am flattered to be a guest. So I've been in the analytics space for about 10, 11 years now, more generally in technology for more than 20 years. And I've done analytics work at companies like Microsoft and Data Science Dojo and Schedulicity. And these days I'm actually out on my own as a solopreneur. I create training content designed for any professional. And my mission these days is really to empower any professional, regardless of role and background, to learn how to do data analysis to have more impact at work. So I focus on what I call the trinity of Excel, SQL, and R in pursuit of that mission. Thank you for that, David. Um, and uh, you, Nick did mention that you have 46,000 more followers than us, I think it was on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you know, we'll go back to the math for that in a second, but that the big reason why you have like, is because we really are focused on MySpace. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there we have, I, what's the last count on MySpace? How many followers we have, Nick? Do you know that number? There's off, several. Off the top. We have several yeah. followers on MySpace. And, right. you know, I mean, you guys, are wait, you guys are waiting for the comeback, man. It's green field. You just wait for MySpace to come back and you're going to explode. It's good, you're going to go viral. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, this is embarrassing. It's already back. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave, for someone who works a lot with data, you, you might want to look into that. Yeah, that's okay. awesome. It's actually the data and analytics platform. Yeah, that could be. Maybe that's number six on the the five mistakes <laughs> to avoid. That's right. That's right. Dave, uh, how do you want to do? You want to do? You want to start this off with the uh, number five or number six? Uh, we'll start with number five uh, right. because obviously I need to do research on number six. You know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So number five, the number five mistake out of the top five that organizations make when they try to become data-driven is that thinking that training, you know, they go through a training program, they educate people on how to use data, and they think it's a one-and-done approach. I've trained everybody, boom, we're now data-driven. In actuality, based on my experience, that is certainly a necessary step, but not necessarily sufficient. So typically what organizations are going to need is some sort of ongoing coaching, either from a COE, a center of excellence within their own organization, or maybe they hire some outside consultants for a period of time to help folks not only cement the skills that they've learned in the training, but also learn how to apply them. And I'm I'm rebranding COE to center of Ethan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that works, right? Yeah, yeah. obviously makes a lot of sense for many organizations. Um, yeah, does the, that does that date me? By the way, to use the term COE, do people still actually use that term? Does well, it depends <laughs> if if you're using it as center of excellence. Yes, it's stated. If you're using it as center of Ethan, it's cutting edge. Right, there you go. Just like right, MySpace. 
<laughs> it's that level of cutting edge. Dave, would you also does does community of practice come up as well, um, in in that context? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that sort of idea of like, look, we're not going to go train a bunch of members of our organization and then just throw them to the wolves. They'll be like, look, you've got tools, you've got skills. All of a sudden, we should see tremendous increases in our profits as a result. Now that we're data driven, right? You just you need some sort of support network for folks to exercise those skills and hone them to actually get the results that you want to get from being a data-driven organization. Love it. So while it's a good step to start enabling folks with some training, it's a step in a wider process of shifting the culture and getting people on board. Awesome. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave I'm, I'm, I failed to see uh, what you're uh, giggling about. I don't know, could you help us understand? I just want I just want a Nick Kelly coffee mug so bad right now. I just don't, I just don't know what else to say. I'm so Dave, envious. Uh, hey, Dave, wait, wait till you see this. <laughs> and you guys have got the best swag. Oh my goodness! Uh, if, you, if you play your cards right, Dave. Get your coffee mug in the mail. Yes. Next uh, LinkedIn post, it'll be me like this with each of your faces. <laughs> Oh, two. Uh, Dave, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right now, you're a guest who's worthy of us sending you one. We'll we'll figure <laughs> out whether we want to go for two of them. Okay. All right. Fine. Fair yeah. Enough. You got to keep expenses down. I get it. Uh, you know, we, we, that's right. although expense is really no consideration when you have the amount of followers that we have on MySpace. Um, uh, Nick, did, did you want to go more? I, I, I really like this topic of number five where, you know, we could go down into like more around the change management and how to do that. But Nick, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to go down to number four? Yeah, let's, let's do, uh, yeah, Dave, I, I, and I'm sure there's probably going to be some, some connectivity here to some of the others. So, um, I might leave some, some questions we have. I, I think that number five is very interesting and certainly mm -hmm. like Ethan says, could go down a rabbit hole. Um, what's your, what's your number four? Well, as a consultant myself, I've got to use the word here. Number four has synergy with number five. Love it. And that is limiting the training to only select roles in your organization. Right. So, for example, we're only going to train people with data in their title. That's just silly. The idea here is, look, if you want to have a truly data-driven organization, if you want to reap the benefits of data for your company to have a disproportionate impact in terms of your competitiveness in the marketplace, everybody's got to be data-driven. Okay, well, maybe not everybody, right? But you'd be surprised how many roles in the organization actually need the training. They need the basic skills. Now, the good news is that, in my experience, most folks in the organization probably only need like one day's worth of training. So we're talking about some very simple tools. They can be just done in Microsoft Excel. You don't need anything fancy. You don't need to buy any new tooling or anything like that. You train the folks up, and then with the coaching, those two things for the bulk of roles in your organization is what you need. Now, more fo some, some folks are going to need more than that. So they might need two days worth of training, three days worth of training, four days worth of training, four days worth of training. Now, the great news is that you can roll this out in an iterative fashion. You don't have to have a big bang approach. It doesn't have to cost millions of dollars. You don't have to take a lot of people offline for hundreds of person hours or anything like that. You can structure it so that it makes sense for your organization. But at base, you should assume that many, many roles in your organization are going to get some form of training, as well as coaching. 
to put you on the spot very intentionally, Dave, um, when you uh, are, do you have in mind a certain role that like most people wouldn't expect that they would need some form of training? Um, and that, you know, I just think like folks who are watching this would be interested in them, like, oh, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense. Yeah, so for example, the one example that I classically use is customer service. So let's say you have a customer call center. You're probably gonna want all of your management and all of your leads trained and coached. Do you need individual phone reps on the floor actually trained in this? Probably not. Maybe there might be some organizations where that would be applicable, but generally speaking, that's the kind of thing that you see. And, and what I often see as a former big IT employee myself is that there are like swaths of the organization like customer service that are often not included in these sorts of things. And that's, that's, that's not what you're going to do to, that's not how you're gonna become a truly data-driven organization and say, look, Customer service people don't need this. HR people don't need this. Um, finance people don't need this because they already know how to use Excel. No, 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 no. Basically, it's going to be most roles in the organization. A few folks at the, maybe at the, oh God, I hate to use this terminology, but I can't think of any better way of saying it at the at the bottom of the hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, just like just like Nick on this show. Yeah, that sounds so elitist. I'm sorry to say that, yeah. but you, yeah. hopefully you get the idea of what I'm trying to convey. Not everyone at the, you know, in every role is going to, but you'd be surprised how many roles actually do probably need the training and the coaching to actually become a truly data-driven organization. Um, I don't want to let that comment from Ethan slip by, slip by as the <laughs> um, when, he, when when he talks about that I'm at the bottom of the ladder, I'm the the foundation, the 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 actual ground on which which the show is built. Yeah, so. it's a it's a very it's a very shaky foundation. Very, very solid. We're bringing, we're bringing over contractors to get that fixed as soon as we can. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Dave, I, I, I have a bunch of questions coming up with, with that one as well. I think it's a really interesting topic. And uh, um, I don't want to jump the gun because um, maybe it's going to come up. But if you don't want me asking, then if let's say customer service as an example is a, a group of people that maybe traditionally don't get trained. Um, and like you said, maybe they're more at the operational sort of tactical level. Are there any roles that you'd highlight that like executive level that are really important to get on board? All of them. <laughs> I do so that, that. That's, that's me. So, so like, like what, Dave, while I'm also the foundation, I'm also the C-suite of the show. And oh, wow. Ethan's there in the middle. I uh, know. I would say you, Nick considers me like uh, janitorial services for, for this show. Yeah. So we could we could certainly discuss this now, or maybe we could like put a pin in this and hold for at the end of the list. But in general, an ideal situation, of course, this would start from the top and work its way down. Right. Dave, I, I uh, like how you basically just told Nick that not a great question and like pretended like we'll no, come back to it at some point. Oh, no, it's a great question because I've got a quote that's part of the number one item on the list and I don't want to jump the gun because yeah. the quote uh, is so awesome. Yeah, sorry about sorry about that, Dave. <laughs> I, just, I didn't mean to be so insightful. Um, so maybe we can maybe we can uh, maybe we can jump to the next one. All right. We will come back to that, Nick. I promise. <laughs> okay. So number three on the list is being fascinated with machine learning or AI 
or anything related to that space, predictive analytics space. Being overly fascinated, overly obsessed with it, that is number, that's the number three mistake. And data-driven and machine learning are not synonyms. They are not the same thing. You can apply machine learning without being data-driven. Companies have been using predictive analytics for a long time without being data-driven in the way we're talking about it today. Yeah. And then you can be data-driven without machine learning because the reality is most organizations need little to no machine learning in reality. If they're looking to make substantive changes, long-lasting changes, machine learning, firing up data science team, those are all well and good and they should have a certain level of ROI to be sure. But if you're talking about something transformational, then machine learning doesn't really apply, quite frankly. So that's number three, right? I mean, machine learning is super hot these days. AI, everyone's fascinated with it. It reminds me of big data, when big data was a thing. When Hadoop first came out, okay, I'm gonna kid you not, this, I just got a quick anecdote here. So when I was working at a very large software company based in Redmond, Washington, which will remain <laughs> nameless, I had an executive come up to me and say, can we get rid of our fast SAN storage area network storage for our databases and just put that on Hadoop? Because I heard it was real cheap. And the storage we use right now for our databases is really expensive. And if you know anything about what I've just talked about, that is just completely silly on its face. But what happened was some he this person read, a, <laughs> read an article from CIO Australia magazine and he thought that oh my God, I, we're missing out. We don't do this, right? We should certainly apply it. So all my whole point of bringing that up is, is that people need to take a step back from the hype and really evaluate what's going on. You don't really hear people talk about big data anymore. You're not gonna hear people talking about machine learning and AI 10 years from now like they are today. So step back from that and say, look, machine learning is a thing, it's a tool in my tool belt for sure, but it is not required for me to become a data-driven organization. Don't try to replace your database storage with Hadoop, okay? Just don't do it. <laughs> Dave, uh, important question. Um, it just seems like a topic came up and, and we have to address it here. Um, this show has a very specific stance on, on AI. Um, where do you land in terms of Skynet for or against? Well, Nick, there's. I have a saying that I've used for a long time in my career. I've never met a computer I didn't like, but I've met tons of people I can't stand. So mm -hmm. I'm pro Skynet. Yeah, that, that's very yeah, much I'm, in alignment with where we are Skynet. in the show. Um, anything we can do to, to promote and accelerate uh, T1000, I think everyone can get behind. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, Nick and I are uh, already working on uh, T2000. So, we're, I mean, we're right around the corner from there. And also just um, bringing it back to the show real quickly, Dave, you say that in, 10 to 15 years, we'll no longer be talking about machine learning and AI. Are, are this episode and between two consultants in general so cutting edge that we're already not speaking about machine learning and AI? Right, Nick? Yep, don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah you guys are so far ahead of the curve, right? <laughs> That's absolutely right. You got the T2000 um, prototype. It's in Skunk Works right now, so you don't want to talk about it. That's That's <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So, so far what we have, number five for top mistakes, training is one and done. Wrong. Have to have a center of Ethan. Number four, uh, mistake, synergies, training to select roles. Number three, 
overly fascinated with machine learning and AI. Nick, do you want to do any of it, any more deep dives into number three, fascination with machine learning and AI? I think we get it as well, um, Dave. Uh, you know, if we look at yeah, like dashboards, and and obviously that's kind of my realm, and I want to do really fancy reporting, and using the latest tool on the block to do it, um, but still just lacking that basic, just the basic reporting of what's going on. You know, wanting to move into dashboarding and do like forecasts and like you said, some of the you know more sophisticated predictive analytics were just leaving some of the basic, hey, what's your revenue? Can you tell what mm-hmm. your revenue is? And can you tell it monthly? You know, and it's not exciting, it's not fun, but it's a great place to start before jumping into all the excitement of, of the more exciting, uh, sophisticated things. Yeah, and I, I would 100% agree with that, and I would go even one step further. And I will use a specific example. So if you have a YouTube channel, if you're a creator on YouTube and you go to analytics for your YouTube channel, the overwhelming default visualization on the analytics dashboard is a black and white line chart. Maybe a black and white bar chart. You might also see that as well. That's basically it. That's the overwhelming data visualizations on their analytics. Whether you're PewDiePie and you've got millions upon millions of subscribers, or if you're Dave Langer and you only got 45,000 subscribers, it doesn't matter. It's a black and white line chart. People get really sad when I when I tell them that like your your chart's like way too busy, dude. What are you doing? You don't <laughs> you step away from the donut chart. You don't need it. Line chart. Why? Because the best way to understand what's going on in the business is to look at it over time. Are you up? Or are you down? Well, you need you need you need historical context to do that, and a line chart is the single best way to do that because it taps into the visual the visual processing areas of the brain for pattern recognition. Nothing works better than a line chart. So, I'm 100% with you, and I would go even more Spartan probably than that and say, well, get rid of pie charts, donut charts, multicolored bar charts. First and foremost, you know what? If you're going to create an executive dashboard, have three to five KPIs, three to five line charts, one for each KPI. Done. This is a this is a provocative statement, and Nick, you're so heavy into visual analytics. Like, uh, are you on board with that, or do you have any? Uh, any it's I'm like a, it's like Dave is crazy. You I'm just generally not into data. I, I you know, I find it's one of those things. You know, it's like CDs are, you know, the VCR, like sounded super awesome at the time, and, yeah. and just really didn't catch on. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, kind of feel like that. Yeah. But also, I, I'd have to agree with Dave on the, the line chart, you know, the YouTube line chart where it's got the two lines just showing how your performance is and then comparing it to between two consultants, which is obviously the, the gold standard for where people want to be. So yeah, yeah simpler the better. Yeah, yeah it's like, like it. it's amazing. It's almost it's almost more like this to the moon. Our, yeah, it's remarkable, Dave. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll go one I'll go one step further. And advocate that not only can you use line charts as I just described, but with some relatively minor modifications, you can turn the line chart into a statistical analysis tool that anybody can actually use, including, for example, a lead in a customer call service center. And where they can say, hey, are our calls actually trending up in a statistically significant way? And they don't have to learn anything about the normal distribution or anything like that. So when you augment the line chart with these kinds of things I'm talking about, it becomes a very, very powerful tool 
for enabling data-driven decision-making across an organization. And they are easy to put on a dashboard. Simple, simple, simple. Love it. So obscuring the, the complexity that's going on behind it with something that's visual, visually easy to grasp by, by folks maybe who are not traditionally served by analytics. Awesome. Okay. What, what number are we up to now? Seven. I, I, I've, I've tuned out the last seven minutes. So. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I started dissing donut charts, Ethan's like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. I'm not having it. Like, Nick, I don't know how we're vetting our guests, but there's been a major error. No, I, 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 I like the I like the pro Skynet stance. So I think that kind of forgives everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dave, we're, 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 we're to number two. We're number two. That your data-driven strategy, the execution of the, the transformation in your organization is being driven by your IT organization. And speaking as a former IT person myself, I've worked many, many years in my career as an IT professional. I was an enterprise architect for a number of years. And I'm still saying this, you do not want your IT organization driving this for you. So this is not about some sort of big IT initiative. This is not about enterprise data management. This is not about self-service BI. This is not about an IT tooling solution or quite frankly, a bunch of Damus style processes that you need to put in place. It's not about that at all. Th those can certainly be helpful, don't get me wrong, but they are not a prerequisite for becoming a data-driven organization. So if this is being led by your IT organization, bad idea, because it's not going to work. And reason number one, we'll make that abundantly clear. Now, this is gonna also be quite heretical, I know. Um, that's kind of like my stock and trade. <laughs> As a recovering enterprise architect, I, can say, I feel like I can say this with a certain amount of credibility. Enterprise data quality, some sort of enterprise data quality initiative, program, project, is not a requirement to get started on becoming a truly data-driven organization. It helps, like I said, it'll help, obviously, but you don't have to have data stewards in place. You don't have to have all of the things that go along with those types of programs in place to get started. And in fact, in my experience, they're detrimental because folks that work in the business typically don't understand the benefits up front. They'll, they tend to understand the benefits after the fact, years later, once a robust system is put in place, a robust program is put in place, but they don't understand it up front. And that's often the problem. You, you sort of threw in like an Easter egg there, right? Like uh, it's almost like that was a two, like number two was data-driven strategy driven by IT org. And then you gave us, uh, you don't need, uh, you know, like the, the most advanced data to get started. Because I don't think that was number one, was it? We haven't got to number one yet. Oh man, I'm excited, Nick. Are you excited? <laughs> yeah, um, this is like, I kind of thought that would be your number one. So I'm really interested to hear what, what the number one is. Yeah, but let's, let's do the, should, should we do the countdown first and uh, yeah. I'll, I'll repeat all four. Or Nick, did you want to do uh, get, go into the, um, the uh, why it's a uh, mistake to have it driven by an IT org? Do I want to, do I, I, I can give a new top five. I can give a different one. Yeah, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> well, why don't we hold off on your top five? So, so number five, training is a one and done big mistake. Number four, only training to very few select roles. Let me get my hand in the screen there. 
Okay. Usually it's Nick who's doing the hand bottling, so this is uh, this is new. Number three, don't become fascinated by machine learning and AI. Big mistake to do that. Number two, data-driven strategy driven by your IT organization. Don't do that. Number one, I, da, I'm, da, da, da. I'm on the edge of. <laughs> da, da, da. Number one is put Skynet in charge. <laughs> oh wait, no, no, no that's okay. awkward. <laughs> Forget I said that. You can just cut that out. All right, number one, actually, the actual number one is avoiding cultural change. So there, there is a quote that I love that's attributed to a former CEO of Ford that says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So if your IT is, if your IT organization is leading something, uh, I've been in the tech biz for, she's almost like 25 years now. I have never seen IT lead a organizational culture change ever. Is it possible? Certainly is. I wouldn't bet on it personally. Ergo, you need to make sure that you don't avoid the cultural impact of becoming data-driven, and it has to start outside of the IT organization. And to Nick's earlier question, it's got to start as high up the ladder of management as you can possibly get, ideally with the CEO. But maybe an organization decides to roll this out in an incremental approach, and maybe they start with a vice president, and they say, hey, go off. Your organization is going to become totally data-driven. We're going to do this as a business experiment, but it still starts at the top with the VP. Love it. So, and it starts with management. D, to become a data-driven organization, to be truly a data-driven organization, it has to start with management in all aspects. And I mean not only like training management, I mean changing the compensation models for managers to reward experimentation and truly data-driven decisions. And if at all possible, maybe not necessarily from an HR perspective, but maybe culturally, starting to punish executives and managers that try to make decisions from their gut or based on their feelings or based on their experience. Really incentivize managers to be like, look, there's no downside now for you to experiment, conduct data-driven business experiments. As long as you report back the findings, you're not going to get penalized for it. In fact, you're going to get rewarded for it. Those are the sorts of cultural changes that need to happen. And then, of course, you do need to train all the managers, right? If you're going to say, you need to be data-driven, you're going to be rewarded for it. you got to give them the tools to allow them to be successful. Otherwise, you're going to get cultural resistance from it. So you need to train all the managers on the things that I was describing earlier as well, including coaching. And in fact, you might even start there before you go to you know, lower in the, high, in the organization structure, right? leads and that sort of thing. You might start with directors and VPs and that sort of thing. And what sort of what sort of coaching would you uh, would you? And this is a question, of course, I know the answer to it, but it's to help Nick. Um, what sort of uh, coaching would you be looking at? Uh, so let me give you a prime example, right? Coaching. Here's a great example, and 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 I'm basing this on my own personal experience, and I'm hoping it'll resonate not only with you two gentlemen, but also with your audience as well. So imagine a VP that gets a coach to help them become data-driven. And through the coaching, the cultural change in the VP manifests like this. The VP's in a quarterly business review meeting, and they are shown data that irrefutably demonstrates that their particular pet project, their latest initiative, 
is failing. It's like not doing well at all. So first and foremost, the VP doesn't kill the messenger. They thank the messenger. Maybe it's like a director that brings that information to the quarterly business review. And then the VP happily kills the project and says, well, we tried it and it didn't work. So the level of coaching that you need, especially at the executive level, might be a bit more extensive than maybe for a lead in the customer service department. But notice how powerful it is. If, I mean, if any of you have ever, if any of you gentlemen have ever sat in a quarterly business review with an executive, that's never happened in my entire career. <laughs> Once. In fact, you don't say anything bad about the executive's pet project or latest initiative, even if the data shows that this is a total disaster because you don't want to get killed. That level of coaching might be a little bit intense. You might need essentially a consultant to be paired up with your executives, but that's what's necessary because what happens is the VPs directs see that and they get the message loud and clear. And then that kind of cascades down the organization. Um, I, I'd love, Nick, I don't want to interrupt, so go ahead. I, I have a comment, but go ahead, Nick. Yeah, Dave, I love the, uh, like, diving deep into the cultural shift by adjusting compensation. And it's like, well, are you serious about it or are you not? Like, are, you know, are you really willing to shift the culture or just keep, you know, kind of like tipping the hat towards this data thing? Um, and and kind of go through the motions of becoming data driven, but not actually truly shifting the culture. Like, are your people waking up Monday morning thinking, "Hey, if I share out this this dashboard, this report, um, to you know the whole marketing org, uh, you know, it's going to give them this added value, this added insight into our customer, or whatever the story might be," versus you know, just getting up and doing their run-of-the-mill job and maybe there is great reporting and insight there but they don't care they're not incentivized by it they're not motivated by it i love that um just that that idea of how willing and how seriously are you going to take shifting the culture because i that's what it's going to take and i I love that ethan sorry i um i know you had another question there yeah and i think this is going to be critical so i'd like to just do a very quick role play uh, Dave, if you don't mind. And by role play, I'm not talking about the LARPing that I do on the weekend. Um, <laughs> very, very, very Star Wars heavy, by the way. Um, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm Chewbacca. Um, in terms of uh, this role play, let's say that like you were giving this message to uh, to Nick and I, um, and the message was um, our, our laser-like focus on MySpace. Um, how might you deliver that message to me, the VP, and Nicholas, the assistant to the VP? Right. And I'm going to make an assumption that you guys have been trained, right? Yeah. This well, culture yes. shift, you've been trained, you've been coached. Yeah. All right. And what I would do is I would put up one of these line charts that I was telling you about earlier that has the statistical analysis capability and say, as you can clearly see based on the chart and the historical data, we have seen not only no improvement in the traffic, in the generation of revenue, eyeballs, whatever it is we're caring about from our MySpace initiatives. In fact, it is down in a statistically significant way. And given the historical trends, we have no reasonable expectation that this is going to change anytime soon. Uh, Nick, I'm very angry at the moment. How are you feeling? I'm not feeling great. And I think I think Dave's missing the the research and effort we put into Skynet and, yeah. and how that's going to affect, affect the, the forecast. So look, yeah. great idea, Dave, you know, um, but probably in practice, 
really missed the mark. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy we did that role play. I think it really like uh, brought it all together. Yeah. Well, there's, there's another aspect to this too, right? So we've talked about like business experimentation and you know, the idea of like calling the VPs baby ugly in terms of their pet project. But where this really has a lot of power in my experience for an organization is realistic goal setting because and I'll give you an example, a real world example from my own career. I had an executive say, Dave, I want you to formulate three to five KPIs that we're going to use at the business level for the company level to manage our progress. And I want you to set goals for each one of those KPIs that we can then filter down through the organization, maybe using some sort of balanced scorecard type methodology, something like that. And I said, okay, cool. So I went and I looked at the historical data. I used these charts that I mentioned which produce ranges that you could say, look, unless there's a substantive radical shift in the business, these are reasonable statistical estimates of the range of values that you're gonna see on the KPI. Think of sales, for example, right? 80% of the time, unless we do something radically different or the economic landscape changes or we introduce myspace.com, we're not gonna see radical changes in our, you know, our sales revenue numbers. And this, and I've created a series of goals based on the historical data that were reasonable. And the executive didn't like them. He thought they were too low. He decided oh. that he wanted stretch goals. And here's the thing, not one of those KPIs ever made it nowhere close to the goals that they set. And here's the thing, people find that demoralizing. Okay. So let's say you've got a sales, you've got a sales bogey coming down from the CEO and you're the VP of sales and you know there's no way you're going to be able to hit it. You might put on a brave face and go talk to your folks, but you know that the account reps are going to be like, oh, I'm not even going to bother trying, right? I'm not going to make bonus this quarter. No way. It's not going to happen. So that's where data-driven also, being a data-driven organization probably has the most impact, is especially in mature organizations, is setting reasonable, actionable goals, goals that are data-driven and are achievable. And Nick has given me numerous unachievable goals on between two consultants, including he's told me a number of times, goal number one, don't insult the guests, which is just, <laughs> it's impossible. Try to be insightful. It's demoralizing these ridiculous goals. <laughs> like, right. Can't be especially, when he keep, especially when he books guests like me. I mean, <laughs> I, I might as well just have a bullseye painted on my forehead. For you. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Hey, uh, Dave, uh, when I do my LARPing on the weekend, uh, what, 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 uh, role, what, what is the action role that, uh, Nick Kelly, do you think he takes? He's either Vader or Palpatine, I would think. Yeah, nice. uh, I was going to go with, I was going to go with Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a second. I did. I thought you only insulted the guests, not the co-host. <laughs> That's actually a compliment coming from him, Dave. Oh, okay. well, there you it's go. a very low bar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's let, should we count it down? Top yeah. five mistakes or five mistakes you must avoid in becoming a data-driven organization. Number five: training is one and done. Number four: training only very select roles. Number three a fascination with machine learning and AI. Number two, data-driven strategy driven by the IT organization. And number one, 
Nick, do you remember number one? Nope. Avoiding cultural change. Ah, yes. Gold. That's it. Absolute gold. That's, yeah, those are, those are awesome top fives. Nick, where should we take it from here? Well, Dave, I, I'd like to thank you for spending the time with us. It's been really interesting. Um, I hope the folks listening are going to try and practice some of this if they're really serious about change. And, and there's two things I'd, I'd ask you here. Um, firstly, where do you recommend people start? So like, you know, maybe they're, imagine they're in the IT organization. So, you know, let's say they're there and they've been given a mandate or, or some sort of budget initiative to progress the organization along a little bit. And, and they can't get that buy-in from let's say that the C-suite, is there somewhere you'd recommend they'd start on the journey? Yeah, so if, so first and foremost, I would start with the business of IT. But, so, but that's gonna be culturally kind of driven, right? If the CIO has a seat at the table, right? They're at the same level with everyone else. They're not like three levels below the CFO or something like that. That might not necessarily be a good strategy, but if the CIO has a seat at the table, with the other um, C-level executives, then they should they could start with the business of IT because it becomes a lot easier when you say, look, the CIO wants to be data driven because then you've got the top of the C, the, the IT pyramid initiating the cultural change. However, some organizations that won't necessarily play very well because maybe marketing might be like, well, the IT guys think they're awesome, but I don't care. Okay, so next up, what you'd want to do is find a organization that has a propensity to be data savvy already. That's been my expertise. So finance is usually a great place to start. Finance people, they they know data, they love data, and they deal with the money. So they're, they're, that's a great place to start. Finance is a great place to start. Uh, manufacturing, if you have a manufacturing division in your organization, also is also a good place to start. There's also a culture of data there, for example, um, in the quality control space, there's a lot of, in Six Sigma, there's a lot of data um, savviness already in a lot of manufacturing organizations. Barring those three, starting with the business of IT, going to finance or going to manufacturing, the next place I would go is marketing mm. for two reasons. One, most marketing these days has a very strong data component, especially with the rise of the digital aspect of marketing. I think last time I saw, I think mar digital marketing now has surpassed on average um, all other forms of marketing in terms of aggregate spend in large companies. I think it's more than 50% goes to digital type marketing efforts, whether that's blogs, digital ads, um, Instagram posts, you know, whatever it might be. So that's another great place to start because you have data to work with. And if you can use your analytics and you can use the data well, there is a direct relationship to the top line. So marketing is also a really good place to go. I would avoid sales, and quite frankly, um, to start with, because my experience has been personally is that's pretty pretty difficult. Um, HR is a good place as well. Unfortunately, HR typically doesn't have as much sway or influence in our organization, in my experience, as maybe you would like. So start with IT, not their finance, marketing, uh, no, manufacturing, and then marketing. I love it, Dave. I also like that you put HR towards the end because with the advent of Skynet, there's not going to be a lot of human resources needed anyway. So really on point. And, and Dave, I know you've got tons of content out there 
um, all sorts of interesting videos, trainings. Where can people uh, find that and, and learn a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, so, so I have a website, but that's usually not the best place to go. So the two primary places to follow me for content in this space, as well as to get tutorials on how to build your own data analysis skills, you can follow me on LinkedIn. That's a prime place to go. Or you can just go to YouTube. And in the YouTube search bar, just type my name, Dave Langer, and I will come back as the first search result. And I have many, many free tutorials on using data analysis with Excel, ranging from simple to relatively advanced, all done in Excel. Awesome. Um, also, obviously, you'll have the uh, MySpace address coming pretty soon. Of course, yeah, we'll, we'll set that up for you. Yeah. yeah, and I'll get a GeoCities account too. It'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, and if you need any directions, like if you need me to help you hands-on, you can use a uh, MapQuest to, uh, <laughs> to to get over to my place. Oh, MapQuest! Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's MapQuest and Zip2. Those are my two favorites currently. Awesome, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> Thanks so much for, for being on the show. It's it's really been a pleasure. Um, hope you come back on. And um, if people do want to check out more of your content, check out Dave on Data, check out YouTube channel, and as well as LinkedIn. Uh, this has been another episode of Between Two Consultants. I'm Nicholas Kelly. And I'm Ethan Silvers. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Logic 2020's Between Two Consultants. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe so you can get each episode delivered directly to your favorite podcast app. To learn more, visit our website at logic2020.com. You can also find us, Nicholas Kelly and Ethan Silvers, on LinkedIn. So give us a follow. See you next time.